I don't know if uh, you've been here the whole time with us on this series uh, that we're doing on the seven deadly sins. Uh, it's a concept that first became pretty, uh, pretty preeminent in the early church in probably the 4th or 5th century. People started thinking about it. Now just imagine for a minute, there, there was no internet, there was no TV, there were no cars, uh, there weren't the distractions that we have today. And so people had a lot of time just to think. And they would think about stuff like how their lives uh, either were connecting to God well or how they weren't. And they had a lot of time to process that question. Uh, for us, uh, maybe we'll take a minute or two and then that's about all the time we have. So we're backing up a little bit to uh, uh, some of the questions that they had and maybe asking them in uh, 21st century uh, vernacular so that maybe if there are any areas in our lives that are keeping us away from God and not knowing him as we should uh, for the duration of our journey, uh, we, can, uh, we can address them through these, these sins that the medieval people uh, began to ponder. If you, you look at my side here, there's a backpack and I am thinking a lot about backpacks because I have a, a son that is backpacking through uh, the West right now, through wildfires and heat and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and he, he's doing a blog called The Nolstice. Some of you maybe have seen it. Um, it chronicles what he's, what he's been seeing, and it just makes me jealous seeing all that, you know, the Grand Canyon and... Moab, Utah, you know, all that boring stuff. Um, now, he's having a great time, but uh, there is, um, there's a price to pay if you have too much weight to carry. And one of the things that he had to decide before he went into the trip was just how much stuff did he want to take along. And I discovered there's a competition with backpackers as to how little you can pack and still survive. And I remember hearing of one person who uh, reduced it down to 12 pounds in his backpack and managed to be sustainable. I have no idea how you would do that. Um, I would need like a minivan filled with stuff. So I got a ways to go. Uh, and maybe that's, maybe the sin that we're talking about today is the one that I, I need to maybe consider perhaps the most. Uh, we've looked at different areas. We started off by considering the role of pride as a weight that would maybe keep us from going the distance. Uh, Ari preached a very fine sermon on envy. And um, I, just a little story. I don't know if Ari's here or not. But uh, Ari, as you know, likes to wear suits. And he doesn't want anybody buying him a suit. He mentioned it in that service. And the reason I even bring this up is uh, he went home that day after he preached. And he uh, saw a car. Did I tell this last week? Okay, he saw a car pull up in the driveway. And the gentleman got out and he said, uh, Ari, God told me that I need to give you this suit. And Ari's like, who put you up to this? And were you at the worship service today when I mentioned I only have one suit? And the guy's like, no, I go to the Damascus church. I wasn't even there. 
And it was like God saying, Ari, I know you want another suit, and this guy uh, has my ear in that way, and I'm going to get you one. And he got him a new suit. Uh, and Ari was just, he was just like, wow, God's really got my back. And that's what we told him in the elders meeting, God has your back. And so that was, that was a cool thing to see. Um, and as um, we consider this journey, God is going with us. Uh, but he's also looking at us and he's saying, you have things that you need along the way and you have things that you don't need along the way. And perhaps today, as we're considering this week, uh, not necessarily pride or envy or as we looked at last week, anger, uh, but rather uh, a word that I can't even remember the last time I used this word, gluttony. Anybody remember using gluttony in a sentence any time recently? I mean, it just doesn't work anymore, does it? Because we eat fast food. Uh, we don't think about eating too much other than it needs to get done. Sometimes when we eat, of course, we don't think about eating too much or eating too fast or eating uh, in a way that um, is, 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 is sinful, I guess. Uh, we just eat. It's, but the Bible talks about gluttony in a way that describes our relationship with things that we consume that can throw us off track. And if you have your message notes with you today, I, I just want to uh, compare uh, what gluttony is with some of the things that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in, the, in the front of our message notes, uh, we have uh, gluttony versus the righteous path. And you may be wondering how you connect the two. But in the Beatitudes, I'd just like to say, Jesus said two things about hunger, I guess, and thirsting, and righteousness, by what he, uh, what he described in Matthew 5, 6 as, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they'll be filled. And then he said a little bit later on in that sermon, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And with that said, I'd just like to turn to the other side of your message notes and uh, consider gluttony for just a few minutes and then consider how we can maybe align with God a little bit more to, uh, to follow him a little more carefully. So here's the problem according to the medieval Christians. Gluttony seems to be an issue that people struggled with back then and, and, and maybe we do today. Did you know that... Um, uh, between the ages of 20 and 50, 20,000 hours of our lives are dedicated to just eating. And if you break that down, that's 800 days of just sheer eating. That's a lot. Now, I enjoy eating, but I'd feel like if I said, yeah, I've been eating for 800 hours, because I'm, I'm like 52, so I've done, I've done well over 800 days of just solid eating. That's weird, isn't it? Um, but yet, as we look at the scripture, uh, we find that somehow all that time we spend with food in front of us has spiritual significance in ways that, um, that, that we, we, we should ponder. And there uh, was a poll that was taken that said, 
uh, of the greatest fears that you have, one poll said 40% of the people uh, indicated that getting fat, I don't even know if that's a politically correct word to use anymore, but you get the point, uh, was uh, the greatest concern that they had. Now, it's a concern for me because I'm, when it comes to clothing, I'm a little bit of a tightwad too because if I put on some weight, I'm like, now i got to buy new clothes. And so I, 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 I try not to you know, get too carried away in that department. But um, I've had my share of gluttony. Um, when I went to um, uh, uh, California, I remember going to a place called Anthony's Fish Grotto and eating pretty much everything on the menu and then feeling the, really the after effects, the rumblings of revolution that Anthony's Fish Grotto had created for me in the middle of the night. I'm not going to elaborate on that other than there was one word that was in my head that I think God pasted in front of me and that was gluttony. And I decided that well, first of all, I'll probably never go to Anthony's Fish Grotto again. Uh, and I'll, I, I decided I'd also be very careful to exercise something called moderation. Um, and as uh, I thought about that, I, I realized that, um, you know, if I looked at gluttony, I would say that it is an excessive appetite based on our need. And we have these needs. We're just, we're, we're physical Biological creatures, we long for contentment, for comfort, for pleasure, and for meaning. And if we didn't, there wouldn't be industries, you know, that sold us vacation packages for contentment, sold us very expensive beds to sleep on and couches to sit on for comfort. Um, and every avenue of pleasure that would appeal to us in some form uh, is definitely high in the marketplace, and then meaning. And most of us would say that we have to have a reason to live. We have to have something to do. And all of those are important, but if we take our appetites and we just focus on one of those four in a way that's in excess, uh, gluttony can begin to show up and perhaps obscure our connection with God. Now, if uh, you look at any of those, you might say, I, I don't really have any, any issues uh, w with any of those. Well, well then, uh, maybe you do and maybe you don't. But let's explore it for a minute and, and just recognize some things that gluttony does to weigh us down. Gluttony weighs us down by taking on, I, I, I would say, two forms. Hungering and maybe thirsting for food when we've had enough. And I just illustrated how God has a built-in mechanism that says, moderation, please. If not, there's going to be rebellion. I just made you that way. And the Romans, whenever they were thinking about their lives, not in relation to God, but in relation to pleasure, looked at food as a way of finding um, a means to activate what they, what, what they now would recognize as just a lot of dopamine and a lot of pleasure hormones in our head through food. So much so that they had rooms that were dedicated to going and vomiting the food out so that they could go back and resume the practice again. And Paul was aware of this 
fixation that people had for pleasure to that degree and uh, it had devastating effects and one reason why the gospel was preached was to liberate people from that longing uh, which became a form of slavery and bondage uh, to pleasure and that's how maybe we can expand a little bit uh, in, in hungering for food there's also in gluttony hungering for things that leave us wanting more and just never quite satisfied and you know the feeling you you see something or you want something and you realize that there's something inside of you that says that really will scratch my itch only to find that it's not gonna scratch your itch it's just gonna leave you wanting more and more and more um, and I, I was talking to Brian this morning about the guys who were taking all of their cars up to Canfield uh, yesterday to uh, the Supernats. I'm sure a lot of you probably went to the Supernats. Maybe some of you, maybe none of you. <laughs> but he said that uh, there was a fellow who had a car, and these guys are so obsessed with wanting more and besting one another in the restoration of their cars that everything has to be perfect. Uh, the paint color, uh, all of the all the things that describe the car as it came out of the factory. For some, uh, they just want more and more and more of that restoration. And he told me something this morning that I, I, I never even imagined would occur. He said, these guys have become so competitive in wanting to get over on, uh, on each other that they will actually determine where on the body originally the paint kind of ran a little bit in the in the uh, in the production of the vehicle and their goal was to recapture the runs in the paint and i'm like really how important is that but it's like anything hobbies are great but if your hobby consumes you it will become uh you'll become the task it'll become your taskmaster and you'll be the slave uh whereas um uh, other hobbies, like uh, my, my friend uh, Jerry Zimmerman, who came up and took the offering, took his son out west. He said it was very une uneventful. On his hike, uh, you dropped how many pounds? 13? Yeah. So he's got to work real hard to get those, recover those. But, um, you know, it was a very austere experience of just focusing on time with his son, the trail, perhaps God in the equation. And I know last time he went, there was lightning bolts that struck, so I know you prayed then. So I'm assuming that there were prayers offered this time as well. Uh, but isn't it amazing how our culture conditions us to want more and to consume more, and marketers are, are working overtime to find ways to uh, press our appetite buttons, and we discover that in the process we're completely dissatisfied but how good did you feel jerry after you got done with your trip you probably felt more alive than you had in a long time and your wife said that's good because i got a honeydew list for you i've been thinking about while you're gone and uh so good thing you're in shape now you'll probably keep those pounds off for a while so anyhow uh that's how our wives keep us fit. The real solution, I believe, is righteousness. 
And God is looking at our lives and he's saying, you want something. And it's something that you cannot find in this world. It's something that we are wired to long for. And it essentially is a life and a world and relationships with other people that all just work and work well. Where there's no drama, there's no pain, there's no suffering. The things that you do um, whenever you are exercising, whenever you are working, whenever you are doing any activity, they just work. And you feel good about it. And can you imagine going to work and saying, work is awesome. And maybe you, you had that, that benefit, but over 60% of the people say, I go to work, but I wouldn't say that it's awesome. And yet originally, before the fall, the Bible tells us back in the garden that work was a pleasure, that it was enjoyable, that we actually derived a lot of contentment, a lot of significance, um, it, it pleasure, and all of those things that have been lost because we live under a curse from a mess that, that happened a long time ago in Mesopotamia. And that curse is what the Bible describes as the fall. And every day we wake up feeling that frustration that was told to Adam at that time when they decided they would Photoshop God out of the equation and live without him in their lives. And ever since then, we feel that same frustration in all of those places. And when God says, I want to bring my righteousness to bear upon my covenant people and then upon all of humanity, it wasn't like I, I want to make sure that no one goes to R-rated movies, but rather it's more like, I want everybody to live a life that is right with me, that is right with my creation, and that is right with each other in a way that is not possible except for the blood of Jesus Christ who gave his own body and his own blood to reverse that curse that has been put upon us in the garden and to take our, our frustration and replace it with God's righteousness. And Jesus, whenever he came, he came to fulfill all righteousness, beginning with the baptism in the Jordan River. And in this case, when he wrote his, when he gave his sermon, he said, I want you to have an appetite not based on your, your longing for something that's not right, and maybe food has been your answer, and yet food is just a lesser God. It cannot fully satisfy. But rather an appetite based on our need for everything in our lives to be made right through God's help. And I love that aspect of it that incorporates God into the equation. Because scripture says that God is our ever-present help in our time of need. And anything that we do in life, when we bring God into it, we find that it just goes better. Because his presence helps to counteract some of that frustration that we feel. His presence brings an element of joy that we don't have otherwise. And his presence just helps us to do all things through Christ Jesus who gives us strength. 
There's so much about what we need to have made right in our lives that can only be made right by asking him to be a partner with us through the process. So let's just uh, move into the resistance aspect of it because that happens in this world. Anytime you try to do something that creates change in your world, you're going to get resistance. Whether it's chopping down a tree in your backyard. I, I chopped down a tree in my backyard the other day and um, I notched it. I did everything right and I was going to have this pine tree which was dead fall a certain way. And when I got to the place where it was critical to fall, it went like that way. And I'm like, actually where it fell, it fell right on, on, on the inside of the blueberry bush and on the, on the other side, on the inside of the, of the uh, uh, oak tree. It killed a couple of hostas, but hey, Christian's not even around, so I'm not telling him. Um, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? That was actually the better spot. So I think God's angels must have had my back when it came to felling trees. Um, so I'm not going to follow that YouTube how-to video anymore. But, you know, there is a way to do things, and then there's God's way. But there's something at work in this world that does not like God's way, has not liked God's way from the beginning. And uh, we see him in the form of the serpent in the garden, but then he unfolds into uh, the devil himself in the encounter that Jesus had with him in the wilderness when he came uh, to earth to show us God's face through his life. But there's also something at work in you and I. And it's just our fleshly nature. It's that very flesh that rebelled against God to begin with. It's that, it's, it's that, it's that way of saying, I want to do it my way. So anytime you read in the Bible the word the flesh, it's just a way of saying life that is willfully lived apart from God's uh, directing guidance or presence. And then there's the course of this world. And I know a lot of people live in perennial anxiety because they look on the news and they see the course of this world and they feel the pain and the brokenness that the news just churns out 24-7. And they find that rather than producing joy and love and peace, it produces fear and anxiety and apprehension. A lot of people come into church because those things get stirred up in their lives in one form or another through the devil or through their own flesh or through the way that the world is functioning and they say there's got to be a better way. And the fact of the matter is those are powerful forces that have been in play and will continue to be in play until God says we're bringing it to an end. But in the meantime, he's provided a righteous way through his son Jesus. And I was just recounting to my wife last night. My own story of coming to the Lord. And then the, the difference that he makes. And after walking the path with him. With my backpack. And him by my side for well over 35 years. I wouldn't change a thing about having him in my life. It's just. It's, he is just that powerful in a counteractive way. 
of a presence that leads us in the right way. And I thought if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have my life, my health, my education, my wife, my family, my friends from church, my friends even outside the boundaries of this realm. And I just began to chronicle all the blessings that I have because he's a counteractive force at work in my life helping me through uh, the various challenges along the way and blessing richly accordingly. And so it's easy for me to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord to you today because of that effect that he has when, as many of you know, you invite him in. And you say, I I want you, Lord Jesus, to be my partner, my Savior, and my Lord along the way. So let's just uh, just finish this out. Because the way forward is to look, I think, at Jesus' own hike in the wilderness. Jesus saw his cousin John the Baptist baptizing people in the wilderness. He went out there. And Jesus said, you need to baptize me, John. And John said, no, I'm not even worthy to tie your sandals. And Jesus said, no, I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So he took him down into the Jordan River. He pulled him back up. And then all of a sudden, bursting forth from heaven, was this loud voice. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And after that, it says that he immediately was sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness hike. And after a time of uh, just being alone with the forces at work out there. We read uh, this in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and Mark chapter 1. It was that critical for us to wrap our minds around that the four gospels said, you better get this. So here's what we read in 11 verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If, if, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And it's a quote from the Psalms. But Jesus said, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. That's just a stupid thing to do. And then finally, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world And all their splendor. And he said, all this, it's yours and even more. If you'll just, well, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, meaning deceiver. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil's like, uh, he's not really in in a good place for us to to tackle him. So we'll, we'll wait. And other scriptures say the devil left him or the devil waited for an opportune time. And the angels came and attended him. Now what can we gain from this just as we're looking at trying to not overindulge ourselves with food or things that would consume us? 
I start out with just uh, recognizing that in this little encounter, he showed us that he fasted to clarify his vision. And fasting, I know for a lot of us, we associate with food. And some of you have done it in a way that has, has been designed to draw you closer to God through prayer and through uh, denying your body. And every time your body said, I'm hungry, you told your body to be quiet because you're wanting to focus more and more on the Lord. And you've benefited from drawing close to God through that season of fasting. There's other fasting, though, that happens, things that consume us that we need to just say, I need to quit doing that for a while. Now, my 15-year-old son has a fixation with all things digital. Can you believe it? I mean, I don't know where that came from, other than every other 15-year-old kid is on there as well, and that is the pathway for their community. And yet, it's a struggle to peel him off of that and say, let's just work on some real-world stuff for a while. And he's resistant because it's so appealing. Yet, uh, he understands that if he doesn't get his game together in the real world, <laughs> he's not going to make it in the real world. Uh, so we sent him off to camp uh, last week. He's in his first week of two weeks at Camp Fitch. And um, we, made, we did the unthinkable. We said, you've got to leave your phone at home. Can you imagine the gasp? It was almost like we had just severed one of his limbs. But he went along with it. And then we got up there and I, I told my wife, I said, you know what, I forgot to bring Stephen's phone. I'm sure he wanted to see it. And she's like, yeah, that's too bad, isn't it? And then we got up there and he was looking at his brother's blog and he's like, I'm having a hard time looking at this phone. And I'm like, well, it's the reason is you've been fasting from your phone, and now you're seeing your phone a lot different than you saw it before. And isn't it good just to do some real-world stuff for a while? And he just looks so alive and so vibrant. And, I, and he said, yeah. He said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that and my relationship to that. And it's just a good example, I think, of how fasting from something clarifies our perspective, our vision. And Jesus, when he fasted, was saying, my vision is you, Lord, and following you and following your word. So here's the second thing that showed up whenever he did that. He chose the righteous path when tempted. Jesus answered, not, well, this is what I think, Satan, but rather, well, from what I discover that God has written, this is what, uh, what, what, what I need to say. Man does not live by bread alone. Um, should not put the Lord your God to the test. And um, a, a, a variety of responses that came straight out of the Exodus experience where they failed. He in 40 days passed that test. And he followed the righteous path by bringing God's word into it. And I've told my daughter, I said, you know, I found that each day as I begin it, I invite the Lord into my life. And I, and I try to spend just a little bit of time in the Word just so that I can get my, my mind and my heart calibrated so that I can begin to face the day with Him in it, with the Lord in it. And I think that as you do, it helps you to just, just be predisposed to be directed into the righteous path. 
So spend some time in the morning before you get started just bringing the Lord into it. And he'll help you on that righteous path. And finally, as we, as we uh, wind it down, Jesus found everything that a glutton looks for through a different source. He found contentment. He found comfort. He even found pleasure and meaning through his Father's love and words. I mean, what more pleasurable thing could any of us ever hear than a righteous father saying to us, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love, with them I am well pleased. There's just a longing that we have to hear that. It's the, it's the biggest need that we have. And there are a lot of people who have eating disorders because they've never heard that. And I want you to know that God is just saying that and has been saying that about you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, there's a deeper part of us that he takes great joy in. He's made us in his image and likeness, and he wants to redeem us. And so when the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, the devil said, "Uh, no, I'm going to resist that. I'm going to go up to that son and I'm going to say, you know what? If you are, if you are, and some of us are saying, I'm not sure if I am a child of God. I'm not sure if I'm a son or a daughter of God. I'm not sure because I've, I've done some bad things. I've done some bad things even as a believer. I'm not sure that God even wants me anymore. If that thought is floating around in your head, that's not from God. Because God has done everything possible to ensure your forgiveness no matter what. To give you grace uh, when you need it the most. And God has allowed all of these forces that are at work through his son to counteract the resisting forces that try to keep you away from him. And the devil just hates it. And so he wants you and I to question our connection with the heavenly father. And I want to assure you, when God said, this is my son... And the devil said, if, Jesus said, my confidence is in the word of my father, not in someone who distorts the truth. Maybe the distorted truth has been working too long in your life, and you need to hear some good words. And the good words are, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And God is just beginning that process of leading you into that newness. And it starts right where you're at, but it ends somewhere on a long pathway where you need to be in your thoughts, in your character, in your, in your relationship with God. It's just a long process of redeeming what has already been redeemed. And I don't know if you trust God As your father. But the reason why Jesus came. Was to provide a means by which you and I. Could say we are adopted into this family. And we know that we're not perfect. But a loving heavenly father. Is constantly discipling us. And shaping us and molding us and pushing us. But also in a spirit of grace that says no matter what. I'll still always love you. But I, 
there are things about you that I, I need to redeem and reclaim and perhaps redirect, and I won't stop that process till I'm done. But my son has made the way possible for you to begin the adoption process and the journey ahead. I hope that as Jesus is working in this room today, he's speaking to your heart, maybe offering your spirit that forgiveness that you feel like you can't embrace because you can't believe that it's possible. Or maybe Jesus is saying, I just want to encourage you along the way that there's some weight that you need to drop. And it's your relationship with things that you are doing too much in excess. And you need to mix in some moderation and get clarity on your life. Whatever the case may be, all of those things I've mentioned, God can provide for and even more.